Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Double Down WNBA podcast. Eric Nemchak here with Stephen Trinkwald. Stephen, today we are doing some more specific content than we usually do. Uh, a quick recap of the Seattle Storm Washington Mystics playoff series recently uh, won by the Storm, and a look forward at the series that we've kind of all been waiting for the Seattle Storm and the Las Vegas Aces. Yeah, I can't believe we managed to go a whole regular season without doing a game recap, but here we are in the playoffs for a pretty good one. Maybe not the best game of this particular series even, but still a very interesting and competitive game up until the final few minutes there. So uh, after a pretty competitive game one, a very back and forth uh, decided in the closing minutes, uh, Seattle Storm really just too much for the Washington Mystics at home, uh, winning the series in two games, which I guess you consider to be a sweep, right? Um, And there are a lot of things I think was this a disappointing series for the Mystics? Because if there was a series, an opening round series rather, that you expected to maybe go three games, I think it would have been this one, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, this is a two-game series and Connecticut and Dallas is going to be a three-game series. Chicago and Liberty is going to be a three-game series. But this was the most competitive first-game series, I think, even though it was a sweep and Seattle was able to take care of business at home. But this was higher-level basketball than either of those two series, I think we can Absolutely. say. Absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. Um, but Seattle takes care of business 97-84 to 84 today to advance to face the Las Vegas Aces, who swept their first-round matchup against the what remains of the Phoenix Mercury. But yeah, let's, let's talk about this game real quick. Uh, a lot of star power in this series, more so on the Seattle Storm side, but what did you really think of this game? Like, what's your initial take? I think my, my first takeaway is just that the biggest difference in this game was the level of play from the, the two kind of mega stars on each team. Brianna Stewart, 21 points on 18 shooting possessions in this game, 10 rebounds, 8 assists. Elena Deladon, after just an awesome, awesome game one where she was, you know, she missed her threes in that game one, but was hyper efficient from two pointers. Not so much today. 12 points on 15 shooting possessions, did have five assists. But I thought even beyond just their scoring efficiency, a notable difference in just the types of looks Washington was able to generate through Elena Deladon getting extra attention and the playmaking that Brianna Stewart was able to do for her teammates. Yeah, and I think this is kind of what ultimately separates Brianna Stewart from Elena Deladon is that, you know, Stewart got off to a really slow start in this game. Of course, did finish with 21 points on 18 shooting possessions, as you mentioned, but she was able to control the game in other areas. Um, Of course, it also speaks to how good the rest of the Storm roster was, which was really freaking good, right? But on defense, they just made life very, very miserable for Deladon. And neither she nor the Mystics as a team were able to really leverage that into higher quality looks. Yeah, and Deladon, like, she was not, she was getting a lot of double teams, especially when she went back to the basket. Uh, And it's not like she was, like, turning the ball over or throwing it to the other team. But the attention that was brought to her from her teammates, you know, it was more Deladon was able to make kind of the easy, the first pass away rather than like the high value pass to maybe a shooter on the opposite corner or something like that, that, you know, didn't allow Seattle to make that rotation and kind of close things off after bringing the double and then rotating on of it, I thought. Because that's what this Storm defense is really good at, right? Just getting in the passing lanes, creating havoc. They have so much length and they have so much athleticism for the most part. Um, they were really able to, yeah, like you said, uh, close down on Deladon. And when she was able to get the ball out of those double teams, it wasn't really to the Mystics' benefit. You know, I think one thing about this Mystics offense is that, as we've mentioned many, many times already, they don't get out in transition very often. They can be pretty deliberate with their offense. 
but they were getting very deep into the shot clock on many, many possessions, and it was to their detriment. I mean, I thought that was another one of just the biggest takeaways to me is like how much, not to say that this was an easy offensive game for Seattle, but how much kind of like system offense Seattle could get through passing and screening and cutting and how Washington just seemed to have to work so much harder to kind of get their okay to decent and even, you know, the few really high value looks that they did get. It just seemed a lot more difficult for Washington. Well, and that's something that the Mystics simply could not have afforded entering this series. We knew that the Storm probably had the edge in higher end talent, but the Mystics, you know, they're this when they're when they're at their best, right? They they win through really stout defense, um, smart opponents' shot diet, and you know, just very good play from the complementary players. But they didn't get that, or they were unable to get that because I think let's give credit to the Storm here, right? I mean, they did a fantastic job of getting the Mystics too deep into the shot clock, making them scramble making them take shots that they weren't really comfortable taking. Like, how many times did you see uh, Ariel Atkins or Shatori Walker-Kimbrough or Natasha Cloud or any of these secondary or tertiary scoring options take a tough, off-dribble jump shot with, you know, like two seconds left on the shot clock? There's one thing I really wanted to point out here is that the Mystics actually shot the ball very well from three-point range. 14 for 27, that's 51.9%. Usually, like, you look at the box score and you look at that three-point shooting, yeah, okay, that team won the game, right? but they only shot 15 for 38, which is just under 40% from two-point range. And I think that speaks to what the Seattle defense is doing to them. Yeah, I feel like so much in this, I mean, in, in the WNBA, in basketball in general, but even just in this playoff so far, like you go down every box score after a game and the winning team has shot, you know, over 40% from three and the losing team has shot like 19 to 25%. Um, But Washington, like you said, they were able to make their threes for the most part and they got decent volume, you know, 27 attempts uh, and they just were not able to be efficient two point scorers cloud who I thought overall had a pretty decent game, uh, especially offensively. And, you know, she was able to hit her threes and kind of get downhill not as much in as in game one, but you know she got to the rim a couple times. But she was two for eight from two. Atkins was three for eight from two, four for fifteen from two in the series for Atkins. Maisha Hines Allen was only one for three from from two. Della Don, as we mentioned, did not have a spectacular uh, efficiency game. So Shakira Austin was over in twenty nine minutes. Yeah, that's we'll a de- huge one. Yeah, we'll definitely get to Austin's game because it was a stark contrast, I think, from game one and. Yes. Um, some of that maybe was, you know, Ezzie Magbiger playing more minutes than Tina Charles in this game and just having more defensive personnel out there than they had in game one. But a lot of it is just kind of the limitations of this Mystics offense as well. And one of those major limitations, as we have discussed many times, is that it's basically Deladon and then a bunch of complementary players who maybe, you know, I think it kind of speaks to Deladon's own deficiencies, of which there are a few, but as you said at the top of this episode, you know, she's not really a value-added passer like maybe Brianna Stewart is. But when that was kind of taken away, when, when Deladon was kind of taken away through very good storm defense, let's once again give them credit, there was no one else on this Mystics offense who was able to really consistently manufacture good looks. One of the advantages, as you like to say, of the Seattle Storm offense, they have three get-a-bucket players. Players who can, you know, you just give the ball to in tough situations and they will bail you out with a tough shot. The Mystics just didn't have enough of that. You know, and, and I don't think that was, yeah, I mean, they, you could say they just had a bad game, a bad shooting performance from two-point range, but if you look up and down this roster, that was not a very surprising problem for them to be having, you know? 
you could even probably say that it was more a defensive loss than an offensive loss for the Mystics because they just were not able to get the type of stops that this team is usually able to get. But on the offensive end, you know, they just had largely kind of play finishers and Ariel Atkins probably largest among them having to be play creators. And and that's just not the type of role that you're going to find a ton of success with. I, I think a, a telling stat in that is how much Atkins kind of relied on her two-point game in this series and in this game in particular. You know, Jewel Lloyd was obviously fantastic in this game. Jewel Lloyd and Ariel Atkins both had 14 field goal attempts, but Jewel shot 10 threes and Atkins only took six. And, you know, each of them went six for 14 from the field, but Jewel had 60% true shooting on her field goal attempts and Atkins had 53% because, you know, Jewel was just a high volume three-point scorer and Atkins tried to do a little bit more off the bounce and isn't really that type of player, to be honest with you. Because three is greater than two, right? Yeah, you're right. You're right. Uh, And then let's just, let's just talk about Shakira Austin for a second, because like you said, she had a really solid game one. Um, This game, not so much. Uh, Tina Charles was really giving her problems early. And then even after Charles was out of the game, you know, she got into some foul trouble. And then I think Noah Quinn made a smart adjustment to just ride Ezzie Magwiger for most of the game uh, remaining. Austin was not able to get that easy offense that she has typically been getting throughout the majority of the season. One of the things that I really liked about Austin's game in general as a rookie is that she moves so well without the ball. And she really does a nice job of finding those open seams, those soft spots in the defense and the paint where, you know, they might not be giving her as much attention. But she was just totally shut down. Three field goal attempts, didn't make any of them. I think at least one of them, she was, you know, forced to put it on the deck. And she's not a back-to-the-basket player. You know, she has some physical tools, but they're mostly best used off the ball, right? You know, moving without the ball, not really creating shots, not really making a decision with the basketball. She still needs to get stronger. Anything I'm missing here? Well, you mentioned she's not a back-to-the-basket player, especially not against like-sized defenders and very good like-sized defenders. Like, she tried to go. I thought she was overall just very hurried in this game offensively in her early, you know, I think most of her offensive possessions came in the first half and it just felt like she was a little bit rushed, a little bit uncomfortable. You know, she did get put in the goal on the defensive end by Tina Charles, as you mentioned, a few times very quickly in this game. And then, you know, on the offensive end, it was a little bit too much kind of probably a a theme throughout this episode, a a little bit too much self-creation for her, you know, what made her so special this year was how great she was as a play finisher, as someone like you said, who could just find the seams in the defense. And, you know, she had a really outstanding finishing season as a rookie with some really tough makes, uh, but it wasn't, you know, back to the basket. It wasn't self-creation and she wasn't really able to find those looks. And then she kind of turned that into just attacking, trying to attack Brianna Stewart a few times and, and just never went well, you know, 0 for 3, like you mentioned, but she also had the bad pass turnover, trying to take Stewart baseline. She had the dribble, trying to attack Stewart in the post, uh, the traveling violation, I should say, trying to attack Stewart. So it it was a bad offensive game for her, but she also, I think, one of the worst defensive performances that I saw her play all season, just in terms of not really being a positive impact player as a help defender and just getting lost more than you were kind of used to seeing from Shakira Austin. So a rookie, <laughs> a rookie big, basically. Uh, but Yeah, she she had the type of game you would expect your typical rookie center to have in this type of environment, but she's been so good that you you kind of stopped expecting her to have yeah, those you, moments. You kind of expected that at the start of the season. Not, like She's closer to being a sophomore now than she is being a rookie. But um, I think the other problem with that is there's really no adequate backup for her, at least in this particular matchup. You know, Maisha Heinz-Allen and Elizabeth Williams 
both played nine minutes. Neither of them really contributing much. Williams got to the free throw line a couple times. One for four there. Heinz Allen, she had a rough series, man. I honestly thought she was pretty good defensively in game one. She was more of an impact defender. I mentioned this online earlier today, but like there were a couple moments today where she was in position and she did a really great job just challenging with verticality as I think she's pretty good at doing, but she just didn't have the length to actually like cause any sort of deterrent with that verticality because Stewart or Charles or whoever it was, mostly Stewart, was just finishing right over her. They're just too big for her. They're just too big and they're just too skilled. And that is kind of the the floor of Maisha Hines-Allen's defensive ability. Like, she can be vertical and she can be in position, but she just doesn't have the defensive playmaking ability that you really need against this Storm offense, or at least this Storm frontcourt in particular. And I think what's really disappointing for me about Heinz-Allen in this series was, obviously you're not expecting the defensive playmaking from her, but you are hopefully expecting some more efficient offense, right? But she was just not able to really get it going in any particular phase of the offensive game. One of the reasons I think you said previously that you'd like to see Heinz Allen out there is because she allows the Mystics to play five out. And we just didn't get an opportunity to see that because she was just so inefficient from the field. Yeah, she was 2 for 10 overall from two-point range in the series and 0 for 6 at the rim for a player who you profile as, you know, a very physically gifted player, um, but she just was not able to finish. Even like the easy one, she she had a couple like very, very makeable left-handed layups, uh, one in each game where she was relatively kind of by herself and, you know, she just wasn't able really to make those shots. So over the course of the season, she was one of the least efficient two-point scoring bigs in the league, you know, in the bottom third in terms of two-point field goal percentage. But the element to at least kind of shoot the ball at a 33-35% from beyond the arc was, at least to me, a little bit kind of tempting in terms of putting her in in high leverage minutes as well as, you know, I think she is a sound defensive player and makes good help rotations. Um, but of course, as we mentioned, the, the size is a limiting factor in terms of how effective she can be. But it was it was a very, very rough series for Maisha Hines-Allen, unfortunately. But I, I do think uh, Elizabeth Williams had some really nice moments out there. Obviously, you know, the free throw shooting is uh, can can wax and wane a little bit, but I thought, you know, I was surprised that they didn't go to E-Will and Deladon more. Like, so much of Elizabeth Williams, you know, poor on-off numbers over the course of the season and over the course of the series are playing with Maisha Hines-Allen, and that specific duo is, you know, they're just going to have a tough time offensively. But, you know, you're I think you can be perfectly fine with Elena Deladon and Elizabeth Williams and you know, we didn't get to mention it before, but I thought this was Elena Deladon's worst defensive game I've seen her play in a while. And, you know, more Elizabeth Williams maybe could have cleaned that up a little bit more. Yeah, the Mystics obviously signed Williams as more of a defensive specialist. And in hindsight, that $90,000 salary, probably indicative of how they're going to use her throughout the regular season and throughout the playoffs. Not a very high usage, not a very high minute player, but you're right. With Austin struggling, you would think that Williams, you at least know she's going to give you stout defense. Whereas Heinz Allen was more of a maybe a high upside, low low floor player in this series. I don't know if that's how you'd like to say this, but you, you mentioned it, that that duo of Heinz Allen and Williams, I, I really don't like it. Negative uh, 8.3 net rating, those lineups throughout the course of the regular season, and they were once again bad today in those limited minutes on the floor. It's just, it that particular duo just doesn't give you anything. And in game one, like we saw them take the floor together in the first half, and then Mike Tebow stayed away from playing that combination together in the second half and then we saw it both halves today you know it was not effective in game one so to see Tebow 
Um, and he also played Rui Machida in both halves, which he didn't do in game one. F- for him to have kind of a longer playoff rotation in the second half in game two than he did in game one was extremely surprising to me. Yeah, yeah. Um, you mentioned Rui Machida. I think one of the questions we had was, can she be serviceable in the playoffs? And I thought she would be against this Storm team. I was I was wrong. She just can't defend anyone. You know, and they just can't... They, other teams just ignore her on offense, and she can't really match up. You know, I thought... Going against the Epiphany Prince and or Bria in January lineups, there would at least be some room for Machida to play. But for one, I don't think the Mystics do a very good job of kind of leveraging what she's good at, which is the transition play. As you've noted, the Mystics are very, very hesitant to get out in transition. And if Machida is not getting out in transition, then she's just bogging down the floor on offense because teams are ignoring her. They're daring her to shoot. And she did make a three-pointer today, but all in all, not really productive. It just forces Natasha Cloud to play as much as she can. And uh, it's not that's not great. What else should we hit on here? I mean, Jewel Lloyd and Sue Bird obviously had fantastic games. Lloyd, a big departure from her game one where she, you know, struggled for the majority of the game before kind of just taking over in the final minutes. Um, I thought they, they used her really well today in terms of, you know, they didn't kind of ask her to do too much off the dribble. It was a lot of running off screens um, and just kind of getting her you know, Iverson cuts and things that are just going to kind of get her a little bit of momentum where she can kind of catch and triple threat and either just fire away or, um, you know, come off a screen or something like that. And, you know, this was not the the defensive performance from Atkins and Cloud and Clark that we kind of were expecting them to to give us coming into this season. They were just a little bit slow, you know, switching on to uh, whether it was Lloyd on some of those actions or, you know, closing out on Sue Bird, overhelping when they were switching a little bit heavier in the first half. They were just kind of a step off in their, you know, discipline, I think, in what they wanted to do. I'm wondering if Alicia Clark hasn't just lost a step after that foot injury because she's still a very good defensive player, but it just seems, I mean, you mentioned it, a step slow. And that's the, the blame goes around a little bit. I mean, the other team scored 97 points. That's no one player's fault on defense, but uh, certainly not the defensive advantage we expected from that trio of players entering the series. Yeah, for Um, Clark, to me, I mean, she still looked like she was fine defending, you know, Sue Bird one-on-one. I thought she worked well as a switch defender still. It's just really kind of against, you know, quicker, more athletic players that I think that little bit of loss of athleticism really kind of shown through today. Yeah, I agree. Um, Speaking of quick athletic players, I'd like to give Gabby Williams a special shout out on this episode because she had a really good series. Uh, I think entering the series, we wanted her to do one thing, and that was be active without the ball. And she was. You know, I mean, she had a great series in cutting. Uh, she was 10 for 14 from the field in this series. And most of that was off the basketball, just being really active. Of course, they did a great job of finding her because everyone on the Storm team can pass. But she just did a really good job of making herself available. Of course, creating plays on defense as well. But within the flow of the offense, she wasn't ignorable. And that's the one thing that I think Gabby Williams needs to continue doing throughout the remainder of the postseason if she's going to be effective. Yeah, and she was five for seven on jump shots in this series. She was largely defending on the ball. And, you know, she made fewer plays on the basketball today than she did in game one. But she really, in game one, did a great job of balancing, you know, defending the point of attack with still being a defensive playmaker and turning the other team over. And obviously that's you know, that's what you need Gabby Williams to be able to do. And that was, you know, something we, we talked about as a concern. Like if you're putting Gabby Williams on the point of attack, yes, yeah, she can do that well, but you're not really maximizing the thing that she does best. And and she was able to do both of those things, I think, fairly well. 
And that's one thing we're going to be looking for in the next series because she unfortunately did exit the game midway through the third quarter. They said she had a concussion. She did not return. And uh, hopefully she gets better before this upcoming series against the Aces because I think she could be a pivotal player. Anything else that we should hit on before like moving on to you know previewing this next series? Anything the Mystics did well? I mean, it was a two-point game at halftime. They were hitting their threes, of course. You have a couple things on you know what the Mystics did to at least stay in this game for a while. Maybe a disappointing performance overall, but... By no means a blowout. Yeah, I thought, th- I mean, they were able to kind of get things going, going at Tina Charles in this game. You know, Elena Deladon got an, an easy drive to the hoop, one of her easier baskets of the game in just like a, a simple four or five pick and roll, you know, which is awesome to see kind of a big, big pick and roll, you know, not something you, you see a ton of in the league. Cloud was able- not a lot of players can do it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, and we saw, you know, two of them that can in this series here. You know, Cloud was able to kind of get downhill and get to the line and pick up Charles's third foul. So, you know, I was surprised that they didn't kind of just like use, you know, so so little was kind of working for them offensively. Surprised that they didn't just like isolate the things that were a little bit more. But of course, you know, Charles played less than 20 minutes in this game. So it was a lot more Ezzy Magbiger. Was was there anything you were seeing in terms of like why Ezzy played more than, than Tina Charles in this game? Was it just kind of the early fall trouble or just... You know the uh, the guards were had it going a little bit more, so you didn't need that extra offense. What, what do you think kind of led to that? I mean, the extra offense from the rest of the roster couldn't have hurt. Magbiger, not really a player who's going to be hunting her own offense, obviously, but I just think the defensive ceiling is tremendous with Ezie Magbiger on the floor. One thing that I think she's really gotten better at as the season has gone on is just closing out under control. Granted, there's not as much dribble penetration on this Washington perimeter offense as you know other teams like Las Vegas for instance it might give her trouble but she just does a really good job of staying under control and contesting shots with her length rather than you know messing up her footwork and you know maybe fouling or stumbling or maybe letting a a guard blow past her uh you didn't really see any of that in this game and that was one thing I think if like if Magbriger is going to get played off the floor it's because of mistakes she makes because she's just a young player right but she played like a vet today and she just did a great job of leveraging her strengths in regards to her, once again, her length and her defensive playmaking ability without doing too much. And that's the key. If if you're the fourth or fifth player in this storm lineup, that's what you do is just don't do too much. Play within your strengths, play to your strengths, play within yourself. And the rest of the players, star level players, obviously, will take care of things. So again, I think that was a good coaching adjustment by Noel Quinn to keep Magbiger in the game, even when Charles... I know we've got we've got thoughts on what quote unquote foul trouble really is, but um, they were having success with Tina Charles, so it was a gutsy move to kind of stay with Magbiger there, but it paid off. And the defensive, like what we led with this episode, you know, Daladon had trouble getting her shot off, and no one else in the Mystics was really able to beat them. And a big part of that was was I think the defensive playmaking of Ezzy Magbiger. And with with Ezzy in the game, and you know, we kind of mentioned the the system buckets and, and stuff like that. Like Seattle was just putting so much more pressure, I think, on the rim in the restricted area. Uh, Seattle went 15 for 19 in the restricted area in this game. Washington went six for 15. Um, wow. You know, between just the miscommunications and on Washington defensively. And like I said, I, I do think this is probably even more a defensive loss for Washington than an offensive one. You know, they didn't shoot amazingly from two but they just couldn't stop the Seattle team, uh, a team that is not a perfect offense. You know, I, I think a big part of Seattle getting going and obviously not a reason why they were able to pressure the rim at all. But, you know, Sue Bird just being more aggressive, I think, just gives this team a desperately needed 
another scorer. You know, they they just don't have enough scoring if Sue Bird is, you know, taking three shooting possessions in a game or something like that. She really needs to, you know, hit or, or at least take, you know, six to eight three-pointers in a game and shoot off the bounce and, and stuff like that. But the way this Seattle team, a team that we had mentioned before this series, never ever gets to the rim, you know, yeah. for them to be able to have as many makes at the rim as Washington had attempts, uh, you know, that's that's probably the difference in this game. You know, once you mentioned that, I was like, well, that's the game right there. But uh, you mentioned Sue Bird. I think that's, that's another player we need to shout out really quick. Six for 10 from the field, four for six from three-point range, 18 points, 10 assists. This is vintage Bird. And like you said, when she's being aggressive with the basketball, she looked great today, by the way. Like, athletically speaking, she looked spry. She wasn't really getting beaten off the floor, physically speaking, as far as defensive uh, possessions. Granted, once again, Mystics, I don't think really have the personnel to really do that for a full 40 minutes. But, I mean, credit where it's due. Super had a tremendous game, and they're going to need that against the Las Vegas Aces. We mentioned Gabby Williams. She did go down um, with a concussion. We hope, you know, you never know with a concussion. They can be extremely difficult to come back from. Um, You know, she was obviously replaced by Steph Talbot, who had a, a quiet game in some regards in the box score, but she did pull down an, a few offensive rebounds and it seemed like every single one of those were just huge offensive rebounds. As Washington was trying to mount its comeback, uh, you think they're going to get a stop and Steph Talbot just comes down with the, an offensive rebound because she she has great size for her position. And, you know, Gabby Williams, one of her big strengths, I think, is her rebounding. So for, for them to not lose much in that regard with, with Gabby out of the game, uh, I thought was extremely important for Seattle to to close this one out. I agree. Steph Talbot, a player who I would love to have on my team, no matter what the rest of my team looks like. As you would say, just a very malleable skill set. So if Gabby is unable to go against Las Vegas with that concussion, I mean, they're not going to lose much in the offensive rebounding, and they're so, they'll certainly gain, stuff, uh, gain something with the three-point shooting. Of course, it's the other areas of the game that, you know, might take a little bit of a hit. But um, let's move on to this, uh, this Seattle-Las Vegas series. Vegas did win the regular season series three games to one, posting a 108.4 offensive rating to Seattle's 103.3. But Steven, I think despite Washington having a better regular season series against Las Vegas Aces, this is probably the better playoff matchup, right? I don't know. I was really looking for, I think Vegas might be a little relieved that they're seeing Seattle because Washington can just match up with these perimeter offensive options for Vegas in a way that that Seattle might have a little bit of a harder time doing and and we can get into it here particularly without Gabby but let's start with just kind of what we would do with Gabby Williams because I think this is sort of very analogous to the last series where they don't really have another option to guard Kelsey Plum like I think you want Gabby Williams doing that you want her size and her athleticism matched up with Kelsey Plum because you know, I don't really think it, Sue Bird's not going to do it. I don't think no. it's the best Jewel Lloyd option. So, you know, let's assume good health for Gabby. Is that kind of where you would go? I guess. I mean, this is this is the problem with playing the Las Vegas Aces, right? Asia Wilson, obviously a tremendous player and probably the front runner for MVP. But where the Aces really get you is they just have three players on the perimeter who can create shots. A luxury that I don't know if any other team has that, really. And... uh with Gabby Williams, the Storm might be able to match up with that. But without her, I mean, the, the real problem is Sue Bird has to guard somebody, right? And, you know, I don't know, maybe that's a matchup against Chelsea Gray. But Chelsea Gray has been playing really well. She's been more willing to kind of take it to the basket in recent games. So 
Is I think I'm okay with, with Sue Bird on Chelsea Gray. You well, know, that still has to be the matchup, right? It has to be. I think you, you can't put her on Plum. In years past, you know, they would put Jewel Lloyd on Gray, who I think that that's a nice matchup if I'm Seattle. I feel pretty good about that. You know, each of them I think have won that matchup in the past. Um, but Jackie Young is just a different player than let's hide Sue Bird on Jackie Young of years past. Like she will absolutely put her body into Sue Bird and get to her spots with ease. You know, Bird is a great help defender and might make life a little bit more difficult for Vegas's offense in those non in those possessions where Jackie doesn't have the ball. But she's she's the threat to hit those threes now. Like I, I just I don't think that's really a tenable option for this storm team anymore. Yeah, I agree. And even if they put Jewel Lloyd on her. I mean, Jackie Young is just so strong. And that's one thing that we thought, you know, when, once again, I'm going to go back to the Brienne January signing. We love that signing because it keeps Jewel Lloyd from playing 40 minutes of defense on the opposing team's best perimeter player. I mean, that might have to be Jewel Lloyd in this series for a while, at least unless Gabby Williams is in good health, because I don't know if any other Storm player really matches up well defensively with Jackie Young. And certainly Kelsey Plum is a tremendous problem as well. Yeah, I do kind of like, you know, from the Storm perspective, I like the the Jewel Lloyd on Jackie Young matchup defensively. Jackie's not really going to make Jewel work a ton with off-ball movement. You know, she's not going to be kind of like running around, I guess, you know, Allie Quigley style. You know, she, she's not going to put a lot of miles, I guess, on Jewel Lloyd. And Jewel Lloyd is pretty strong to hold up against bigger wings. You know, that's why I think she's had success against Chelsea Gray in the past. So I think Jewel does better defending kind of more power wings than than like quicker perimeter players. Would you agree with that? Okay, so you like this matchup. Yeah, I, I wouldn't disagree. I wouldn't disagree. I would say that there aren't many players who can do what Allie Quigley does off the basketball, but you're right. You're right. Uh, the, the, I agree with you in principle. I guess the question is like, who does everyone else guard? Like, Jewel can only guard one player at any one time. And I don't know, does Brienne January play more minutes in this series? That's That's a tough one. So, well, let's talk about January. If she's going to see extended minutes, like who does she kind of excite you defending? Uh, you know, do you think that's a good matchup for Kelsey Plum? I don't yeah. I don't think Gray is, you know, I, I don't think you play Brian January more minutes to guard Chelsea Gray. I just, I don't think, really think that's a great matchup. Yeah, I agree. It's it's definitely a Kelsey Plum matchup for Brian January. She's just so physical and she doesn't mind, you know, maybe picking up a foul or two just to make life uncomfortable for the person she's guarding. But the question is, of course, for Seattle on the other end of the floor, what does that look like on offense? I don't think you can afford to play Brienne January like 20 plus minutes in this series, right? Yeah, I would agree with you. I think the offense would, would get a little... Well, let me ask you a question. What does Chelsea Gray taking advantage of Sue Bird look like? Because I, I feel like she's just not a player that really wants to get all the way to the rim, even if she has a physical advantage on the player guarding her. Well, that's what it does look like. I, I was saying, like, in, in the recent series against Phoenix, it seems like Chelsea Gray was much more willing to do that. But, of course, a player's confidence is going to rise when you're winning by, like, 40 points or whatever that was. Uh, so maybe it looks different against Seattle in this series. I don't know. And I think, generally speaking, the Storm are going to scheme a lot better defensively against Chelsea Gray than the Phoenix Mercury did. I mean, it's never just one person defending Chelsea Gray, right? You have, you have to have all five sets of eyes on the basketball. Yeah, I mean, this whole, you know, the whole, like, who was guarding who was like a massive oversimplification of how this was going to work. And Seattle, as well as Washington in this last series, they they both did just, like, a ton of switching. And I think they did it pretty well. I think in some ways, Vegas is a little bit less switchable than Washington because, one, they have Kelsey Plum. Like, I think you can can switch pretty well in non-Asia actions against this Vegas team. But you, you absolutely cannot switch against Kelsey Plum. Like, she's she's no. just going to kill. Anytime they tried to do it in the regular season, Plum just, even if she didn't make her shot, she got an extremely clean look, either attacking a big off the bounce or getting a very 
open step back three. Even, you know, Brianna Stewart, who I consider a very good perimeter defender for a big, like an Ezzy Magbaker, the same. They just have nothing for, for Kelsey Plum. I mean, that sounds like a pretty good case to put your best perimeter defender on Kelsey Plum to me. But um, there's one individual matchup that we do need to address, and that is Asia Wilson versus Brianna Stewart. What do you do with that? Because ever since the Storm acquired Tina Charles, there is a that option of putting Tina Charles on Asia Wilson and just letting Brianna Stewart play against Kia Stokes. I mean, there's another wrinkle in this, right? They, they have been starting Kia Stokes, and while that hasn't really been to their detriment, Derek Hamby is probably still going to be out for this series, right? So things get a little more compact for this Aces frontcourt rotation. Yeah, I think, you know, for the first, let's say, 35 minutes of this game, I'm probably going to play either Tina Charles or Ezzy Magbaker on Asia Wilson and keep Brianna Stewart as... Maybe it's different when Ezzy's out there, but in Stewart-Charles minutes, I think you're putting Charles on Asia to avoid the cheap falls on Stewart because Asia is so good at getting to the free throw line, obviously. But also, like, Stewart is just going to be much more disruptive as a help defender than Tina Charles is. I think that's the way that you shrink this offense with Kia Stokes on the floor or, you know, whoever it is. If Dierica Hamby is available, you know, Hamby did not have a great regular season against Seattle. You know, making Stewart that help defender rather than Charles, I think, is just how you kind of make this, you know, this Vegas offense has four outstanding players, but if you can make it four on five, it still makes it a little bit more difficult. Now, the first thing that I thought of when I saw this in the notes is that, and that's those are great points, by the way, is kind of like a callback to the Chicago Sky versus Phoenix Mercury, their strategy for guarding Brianna Turner, which is to not either not guard Brianna Turner at all or to help out on Brianna Turner and force her to make a bad decision with the ball and turn it over or force a bad shot or what have you. Is that something the Storm need to do against Kia Stokes? Because I feel like while she is a prime candidate for that kind of defensive attention, it's probably just better that they take more of the passive defensive approach on her. Would you agree? What do you mean the passive defensive approach? So by that, I mean, like you said, put Brandon Stewart on her and just kind of, I don't want to say ignore because that sounds so harsh, but you know, like if she gets the basketball, then she gets the basketball. If she, if, if she shoots the ball, she's not looking to make a decision with it. And I don't think this Vegas roster is one that's going to let her make a decision with the basketball because everyone else is so good at either attacking closeouts or beating whoever off the dribble that you don't want to put yourself in that situation for the sake of maybe forcing Kia Stokes into a turnover. Yeah, I think, you know, one of the reasons that you can really feel confident in Vegas in this series is that Seattle just has so many more difficult choices to make than Las Vegas does in terms of what you want to do defensively. But that fifth player, and and in this case, Kia Stokes, you know, I, I don't think she's a Brianna Turner level decision maker offensively. I, you know, I think you just trust her a little bit to, you know, make that one pass or she's, I don't want to say she's a better finisher, but under contests, you know, she might give you a little bit more. She, she's sure. got, she's got better size. You know, she's, I think in a vacuum Turner is probably a better offensive player, but you know, Stokes has just done the teams aren't going to guard me thing so much in the past. Like, I just feel like she knows how to do that a little bit more. Um, but it's still, it's what you got to do with Seattle, right? You you just have to, if you are this defense, you know, you don't want to say ignore, but I, I think the basketball phrase is uh, make her beat you, right? You just want need okay. to make Kia Stokes beat you in some ways. And maybe that's shooting a couple corner threes a game or just, you know, in the dunker spot, kind of finishing dump offs and stuff like that. Like if, if that's what she's doing, like, you know, Kia Stokes doesn't want even six shooting possessions a game. So, you know, make her kind of, I guess, make those decisions. 
if Hamby doesn't play or if she's limited, rather, it does make Seattle's decision a lot easier because, I don't know, they obviously didn't need Hamby to sweep Phoenix, but I think in a vacuum, she's their second best big, right? And while she may not really impact their success at the level of any of their other high-end talent does, what she brings to your team, I mean, she's going to be able to raise their ceiling. Energy, rebounding, second chance points, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Getting out she's in transition. Getting out in transition. She's one of the best bigs in the league at doing that. Against a storm defense that is very good at, you know, not allowing teams to get out in transition, those points could be very valuable. You know, you don't want to be leaving those off the table if you're Vegas. So while she may not, like, in the macro view of things, she may not, they might not need her to win, the other option is Kia Stokes, right? Um, or Teresa Plaisons, which I don't think they'll do. But it just seems like Hamby is, is a ceiling raiser for this Vegas team. And if she can't go, if she can go, then, you know, that makes the Seattle's defense's decision a lot more difficult. Because while you're not going to be really maybe guarding Hamby very tightly from the perimeter, she is going to hit the glass. She is going to get on transition. She's just going to raise the ceiling of this Vegas team. How do you evaluate Derek Hamby's potential absence in this series? I guess I'm I'm not too worried about it for Vegas. You know, she was not great against Seattle in this regular season. A lot of that is probably just shooting luck. I, I think she had like a 37% true shooting against the Storm. Obviously, she's not really out there for her offense, uh, at least kind of, you know, scoring efficiently or anything like that. I mean, I think they'll miss her, but more just because they don't have any good players coming off the bench than this particular element of De'Arca Hamby's game is is kind of a difference maker against the okay. Storm. Do you, th- do you think okay. that's unfair? No, I think it's fair. I think it's fair. I guess I could go to my follow-up question then, and that would be if Hamby cannot go, but Gabby Williams can go, how does Williams make an impact in this series? Is it just more of the same of what she did against Washington? I think so, yeah. You know, defending the point of attack, I, I do think I put her primarily on Kelsey Plum. I think, you know, she has size and athleticism. She's the only one that can really hang athletically, I think, with Kelsey Plum. So you put her on, in my opinion, their best offensive perimeter player uh, and their most dynamic offensive perimeter player. Their one kind of real three-level scorer that sort of bends the defense in a real way. And offensively, you know, you just kind of do a lot of the same. It's I, I don't really think she'll have as much of an impact on the offensive glass, but maybe she did shoot probably better in her jump shots uh, against... Washington than you could expect. But overall, I think this has potential to be a little bit more of a Talbot series than Washington, but you know, they they Who's just guarding. Yeah, they just need Gabby's defensive athleticism so much. You know, even if you kind of worry about what it looks like offensively. And Gabby, she had a great offensive series against Washington, to be sure. But I think, you know, Vegas is just you know, they're not the defense that Washington has is obviously, but they have better help defense from their bigs and I think that's kind of where you worry about a wing who doesn't get guarded as much because that's how Gabby made herself efficient in the Washington series is by exploiting those open seams in the defense granted looking back on that game two against Washington the Mystics played such bad defense honestly it was really disappointing um but you're right it was Stokes Wilson both really good help defenders and just really good at smartly clogging up space defending without following which is obviously tremendously a uh, very big part of this Vegas winning formula. But, I mean, if that's not there, then you're basically forcing Gabby to beat you from outside. And while she did do that against the Mystics, it's still going to be the defensive strategy against the Storm for any opponent, right? Yeah, I think so. Uh, a little bit more on the Seattle offensive side of the ball. You know, Vegas, over the course of the regular season, they were the best overall 
defensive rebounding team in the league, and Seattle was 10th in the league in offensive rebounding in the regular season. But with that being said, I, I still think Tina Charles can have some success on the offensive glass. Like That is an element that I think you can, especially with Asia Wilson off the court, Like I think you definitely want to make sure in those six or seven minutes each game that Asia Wilson is on the bench, that Tina Charles is out there and Absolutely. Att- attacking the offensive glass and kind of getting the Tina Charles possessions, especially in the paint. You know, I don't think allocating that one player to the defensive glass, in this case, at Tina Charles, you know, particularly Tina Charles, is really going to kind of hamper this awesome transition defense against this awesome transition offense. You know, this was the number one transition defense and tra- transition offense we're talking about here in Seattle's defense versus Vegas's offense. So, but allocating one player to the offensive glass, I think that that's fine as long as you're not overdoing it, I think, with, you know, a second or third player at the detriment of getting back. But Tina Charles was a really effective offensive rebounder down the stretch of the regular season, as well as against this Vegas team specifically when she was at, you know, 13% offensive rebounding rate. And obviously she had huge moments in that Washington series. So that's going to be an area where I think, you know, it's not something where you really think of for this Seattle team or against this Vegas defense, but would, would like to see them kind of, Tina specifically, be aggressive in that area. Does that kind of call back to what we originally thought of this Tina Charles pickup by the Seattle Storm. We we're like, okay, we love this if she plays like exclusively against bench bigs. Well, I mean, she's she's definitely proven us wrong in that regard, right? We we kind oh, yeah. of got to take the L there. Like this starting five with Tina Charles in there has been awesome. Tina Charles as kind of a lower usage play finishing type big. Anytime she's been in the paint in the last you know month or so, she's just been amazing. Like the jump shot is still. I think a win for the defense, an offensive element that it's still probably more threatening than Ezzy Magbiger, I think. But still, like when Tina Charles is taking the jumpers, especially if she kind of does the the one or two dribbles with the little stutter step, like that is something where a defense is just like, you know, a sigh of relief if she takes that shot. But she's been awesome at the rim and putting her defenders in the goal. And I think she can have some success against even you know, what I would consider Kia Stokes is like at this point, a a more stout defensive center guarding the post than, you know, Shakira Austin in the last series or one of the undersized bigs that were coming off Washington's bench. Well, she's much, much stronger than Shakira Austin, especially, you know, in the upper body. And I would, I would surmise that that's what they have for uh, Tina Charles, at least in the beginning, but I mean, we'll see. Uh, But yeah, I mean, Tina Charles, I think the book on Tina Charles throughout most of her career is part of why everyone hated her taking those long twos is that it wasn't her taking a shot at the rim. And we know that Tina Charles is a very, very skilled low post player. So it's just like, why do you continue taking these long shots? But her playing within this Seattle offense, I mean, she really has proved us wrong in that she has adjusted to the lower usage life very well, kind of settled into that tertiary scoring option. And with the way the Seattle Storm moved the basketball, it's much easier for Tina Charles to get that one-on-one matchup to get the defender on her back very deep in the paint than running your entire offense through something like that and forcing her to make a decision and just didn't typically in the past lead to high efficiency offense for a full 40 minutes. That's not something that neither Charles nor the Storm need to worry about these days. So with her being treated as like this third scoring option, it's it's tremendous luxury for the Storm to have because this is the type of Tina Charles we've been wanting to, wanting to see, right? And it is kind of the ideal way for her to be playing at the tail end of her career within the context of this Storm offensive system. With regards to the perimeter offense for this Storm team, you know, I had mentioned before that one of the reasons I think you feel pretty good about Vegas in this series is that 
Vegas just doesn't have as many tough choices. Like, I think you feel fine with Kelsey Plum defending Sue Bird. Like, that's probably your Kelsey Plum hiding spot. I think that's, or Brianne January when she's out there. Like, you're not panicking, really, if Kelsey Plum is defending Sue Bird. Like, Sue Bird's not going to put pressure on the rim. You know, she she moves well without the basketball. She's obviously a great passer, and she is a great shooter. But, like, I don't think that really instills panic in you. Am I right? Yeah, you're totally right. It's not something that Kelsey Plum is going to really need to exert a lot of energy on, to be frank. And then I think Chelsea Gray is this team's kind of go-to help defender on the wing. I don't think Gabby Williams is is so dynamic that she's really going to punish Gray defensively. I think Chelsea Gray has great defensive intelligence and kind of knows how to play against players that are more athletic and, and kind of have more traditional athletic traits than Chelsea Gray does at this point. You know, maybe Gabby can change the game in transition or, or getting on the offensive glass a couple times in a game. But I think, you know, this Vegas team is just going to be able to, as we mentioned before, contest Gabby at the rim in a way that Washington, I just wasn't able to consistently, in my opinion. So then it comes down to, you know, again, an oversimplification, but how Jackie Young and, you know, in, in switching situations the rest of these perimeter defenders do against Jewel Lloyd who was awesome against Vegas in the regular season aside from you know that third matchup where she struggled to hit a field goal for a while yeah and I think the other end of that spectrum uh, for Gabby Williams is that I'm not sure how much transition offense she'll be able to create consistently against this Vegas offense because you know they're pretty good at not turning the basketball over granted a, a player of Gabby's caliber I mean that's this is kind of what makes her elite at this she can create transition offense instead of wait for the offense to make a mistake but at the same time I mean you're not really hiding Gabby on anybody and this goes back to your original point about you're obviously Gabby being maximized is putting her on a lesser offensive player or a more ignorable offensive player and letting her create plays you don't really have this luxury because everyone on this Vegas team can create shots do you think it's accurate or maybe an oversimplification to say that if Seattle wants to win this Jewel Lloyd has to be the best perimeter player in the matchup no, it's not an oversimplification. I mean, she was the best perimeter player in their last regular season meeting. Didn't go Seattle's way. But uh, that's just a very large ask. Or maybe maybe it's not a large ask for her to be the best perimeter player. It's just her matching up. It's not just her matching up against Kelsey Plum. It's not just her matching up against Jackie Young. It's her matching up against, like, all three of them, basically. Unless Sue Bird just becomes hyper-aggressive with her three-point shot. Because Seattle, as you kind of got to look at the perimeter offense as a whole, right? Jewel Lloyd is going to have more on her shoulders than any of those three Vegas offensive players, except maybe Kelsey Plum, because that third Seattle offensive, that third Seattle perimeter player, whether it be Williams, whether it be Talbot, whether it be maybe even Brienne January, is just not going to be willing to shoot the basketball as often. So if I'm Seattle, I definitely want to try to get Jewel Lloyd going, mostly early in the game, you know, later on in the game when it's clutch, you know, crunch time, maybe Lloyd, you you try to ask her to do a little bit more off the bounce and kind of creating her own mid-ranger and stuff like that. But early on in the game, you know, you want to see her attacking in transition. You want to see her running through those off-ball actions, through the Iverson cuts, you know, just kind of getting her the ball with some momentum so she can just kind of catch and fire. I think she had a lot of success in the regular season in, you know, off-ball screen actions and small, small actions, getting Sue Bird involved as a screener to get Kelsey Plum onto her. And I think the more often Seattle is able to get Kelsey Plum guarding Jewel Lloyd, you know, if, if Vegas can avoid that pretty well, you know, I think they'll maybe have a an all right time defending Jewel Lloyd. But if Lloyd gets cooking against Kelsey Plum, you know, then I think we really have uh, a series here. 
you know, Jewel Lloyd, 63% shooting in the regular season against Vegas, but it was mostly hot shooting. You know, she was only 40% from two, did not get to the free throw line a ton against Vegas. So how clean her three-point looks are, and I think who her three-point looks are against, I I think is really going to be a determining factor here. Well, and Vegas does a pretty good job of keeping opponents off the three-point line and making that and turning those into long two-pointers. And that's something we were kind of bogging on the storm for was taking a lot of difficult shots or low-efficiency shots. Granted, I think they did a much better job against the Mystics of turning those low-efficiency shots into high-efficiency shots, but can that continue against a pretty smart defense? Is there anything else you wanted to say about like the Stewart-Wilson matchup? I mean, they're... You know, they're the, the two best players in the that league. That we right? haven't said already? Yeah. They, 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 nobody has said already? I mean, I'm really excited to watch it. I, I don't know what else you can say about this. It's uh, going to be cool. It's going to be really cool. The two best players in the league, arguably, but I, I would say this year they've been the two best players in the league. So it could come down to, and honestly, I Stephen, I hope it does come down to whichever superstar is better. I just think that's so good for the league when, it, when that happens. Yeah, I agree with you. And I think, you know, Asia is, I mean, Stewart led the, the league in free throw attempts, so... This is a maybe outdated analysis, but Asia is just going to get to the line a little bit more reliably. A huge swing factor for me is like, is Stewart going to hit her pull-up three-pointers in transition? That's been, I think, an option that Stewart really likes against this Vegas team because they're just yeah. not defending her that far out on the court. Asia specifically is not defending her that far out on the court. Asia, as a defender, wants to be a little bit closer to the rim. So how much is Stewart's pull-up game going to be able to you know how much how reliably is that going to go in what do you think about the bench in this series you know much has been discussed of course about how bad vegas's bench is but like is seattle's bench like really an advantage they have ezzy magbiger and, and can close with a more defensive group but you know vegas has raquana williams who i think is a more dynamic offensive player than anyone on seattle's bench like is it really i guess a value add for seattle here this is the semifinals. this is the playoff this is a series in which you don't play your bench that much. I mean, okay, maybe over the course of a regular season, you say, okay, why is Hammond playing her starters 38 minutes every game or whatever? She's going to need to save them for the playoffs. Well, guess what? It's the playoffs. You know, every team, except for maybe the Mystics, is going to run a shorter rotation because you play your best players. This is a must-win game. So while I think that Worry might have had some merit over the grind of a 36-game regular season, now it's out the window. Do you agree? Yeah, I do agree. You know, January can serve more minutes than, you know, any non-Raquana player on Vegas's bench. You know, Talbot is a good player, but I think is less useful as a bench wing surrounded by less creation than as a starting wing. So her her value, I think, is not... If anything, it's just another player that you can close with if things aren't working more so than she's really going to be a super high value add during bench yeah. lineup minutes, you know? Uh, maybe that is a determining factor, but not necessarily one that is going to help Seattle kind of carry those those bench lineups, I think. Is it going to swing the game? Probably not. Yeah, unless it, unless she's the one that they're closing with instead of, you know, Gabby Williams or, or something like that. I, I don't really think so. So, I mean, how are you feeling about the series? Like, wh- what do you think? Well, you know, I think over the course of the regular season, I, I think Vegas kind of proved almost every game that they were the better team. And while you can't take the regular season and kind of take it to the playoffs and be like, okay, this is what happened in the regular season. This is what's going to happen in the playoffs. I feel pretty confident in saying that Vegas is still the better team, even if De'Erika Hamby isn't playing. I just think they've got a higher ceiling than the Storm. And they've been, and whenever they've matched up against the Storm, they just had a little more juice on offense than the Seattle Storm did. Um, they are able to sustain their runs, play a full 40 minutes a little bit better than Seattle. That's taking nothing away from the Storm. They're an amazing team. But 
when you get into a playoff series like this, it's like, okay, 40 minutes, 40 minutes, 40 minutes, larger sample size, greater chance that the, that the better team is going to show out. So I'm pretty sure that the Aces are still going to win this series. But it could go, like, if it goes if it goes the full five games, um, I'm not going to be upset because I think this is going to be a pretty darn good matchup. Yeah, I think ultimately I agree with you. You know, Asia Wilson and Brianna Stewart, those are two tier one players in this league. They, you know, maybe it'll come down to which one of those players just ends up outplaying the other one. But I think the more likely scenario is that both of those players play exceedingly well. They play to a draw. Yeah, yeah they play as the two best players in the world would. And what it comes down to is that Vegas has three perimeter players that can do stuff, and Seattle has one and a half perimeter <laughs> players that can do stuff, depending on how aggressive Sue Bird is. So I think, like I said before, Vegas ultimately just doesn't have to make as many difficult choices in terms of who they want to guard. You know, maybe it's, you know, Sue Bird just has a little bit of extra juice offensively, but I, I think when you have Kelsey Plum and, and Chelsea Gray, and Chelsea Gray has just been so, so good. and She's been magnificent. Honestly, just... A revelation. Obviously, you know, she's still been good these last few years, but she's been playing at a completely different level than she was her final few years in Los Angeles in her first year in Vegas. Like, this is a different player with her level it's, of regression. It's really giving shades of, you know, Chelsea Gray when she first came onto the scene in Los Angeles and she kind of took over that title team and, and played like the best point guard in the league, right? It's And that, that could very well be the deciding factor in this series is Chelsea Gray. Um, on the other hand, what I wanted to say is, Maybe Tina Charles just has one of the best series of her career. Like, that's not an impossibility, right? No, not at all. I think, and she could even, you know, be a player that gets these Vegas bigs into a little bit of fall trouble. Like, obviously, yeah. you know, Wilson is very good at defending without fouling. Kia Stokes is not really a high fall player, but I mean, this is Tina Charles. She's a Hall of Famer. She can put anybody in fall trouble. Very true, very true. And another deciding factor, maybe the Seattle defense, like, so good at forcing turnovers, so good at sparking runs for their own team could also be a deciding factor as well. So, I mean, they're just, they're just so different wrinkles. Like, we could say, yeah, the Aces are favored. I think they will be favored. They should be the favorite team. But Storm are no slouches. And they're there for a reason. Soundly outplayed their first-round matchup in Washington. And this is just going to be an awesome series. Like, people have been looking forward to this. It seems like these two teams have almost been on a collision course throughout the regular season. And uh, we're getting it now. And I'm just I'm really stoked to see this, honestly. Kia Stokes to see it, you could say. All right. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, It was fun to do a game recap and another series preview, even if we didn't have a ton of time to prepare for it. But hopefully it was an enjoyable episode. If you want to support the show, you can follow, rate, and review on Apple, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. You can follow the show on Twitter at DoubleDownWNBA. You can follow Eric at E or myself at Trinkwald. And uh, thanks, everyone. Thank you so much. Take care, everybody.